It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. I know you're going to ask a really nice question. Well, it's it's an important question, no, I think. Are you worried that other leaders in the world are going to start to doubt that America is back if some of these big things that you say on the world stage keep getting walked back? What's getting walked back? It, it sounded like, just in the last couple of days, uh, it sounded like you told U.S. troops they were going to Ukraine. It sounded like you said it was possible the U.S. would use a chemical weapon, and it sounded like... You were calling for regime change in Russia, and we know... None of the three occurred. None of the three occurred? None of the three. Mr. President? You, you interpret the language that way. I was talking to the troops. We were talking about helping train the troops in that are the, the Ukrainian troops that are in Poland. That's what the context. I sat there with those guys for a couple hours. That's what we talked about. So when you said you're going to see when you're there... You were not intending. To I was referring this. to with meeting with and talking with the uh, Ukrainian troops who were in Poland. And when you said a chemical weapon use by Russia would trigger a response in kind, it will trigger a significant response. What does that mean? Russia. I'm not going to tell you. Why would I tell you? You got to be silly. The world wants to know. The world wants to know a lot of things. I'm not telling them what the response would be. Then, then Russia knows the response. So that was an exchange between Peter Ducey and the president of the United States, Joe Biden, who said, none of that happened. None of that happened. None of those things. Yeah, what you're saying is not true. Uh, yeah. And he also refused to apologize, doubling down. And now we find out because uh, some reporter from a European outlet took a picture of it that President Biden had this uh, very nicely prepared uh, talking points. It's titled Tough Putin Q&A Talking Points. If you weren't advocating for regime change, what did you mean? Can you clarify? Answer, I was expressing the moral outrage I felt toward the actions of this man. I was not articulating a change in policy. It goes on and on. Answers and questions. Questions and answers. The tough Putin Q&A cheat sheet. And um, well, we know this is true of this President Biden, that he has to have help. We knew it was true when he was campaigning in his basement, that he was reading talking points uh, we know because he's, go, you know, done these gaffes where he said, well, I can't I take any more questions. Uh, oh, the first question I'm supposed to take is from the AP reporter, John Smith. I'm making that part up, uh, you know, because he's doing what he's told. You know, he has enough uh, enough cognitive that he can be the same mean, snarky, arrogant person he always was and not all that bright. That really has somehow stayed with him. Uh, but um, it's it's just amazing. So that's the president of the United States, and that's why I think the world is kind of rocking, because uh, the the United States has left such a vacuum. You have no idea. Even our enemies, there was a balance of power. There was a status quo. I hate to use that word, but there was something you could be sure of. 
uh, you knew the United States would be strong in conflict, that they would stand up and be a deterrent, and that's all gone. You knew that the United States was kind of the hope of the world and that people uh, uh, could could get ahead here, and they, that's why they came in across our borders, which is what we're going to talk about today, actually, uh, in just a few minutes with a special guest. And we knew that it was kind of standard information that the United States was still a land of hope, but then that's why they were all criticizing us because they had to tear us down. But now we are thoroughly torn down, and we have a ridiculous president and a ridiculous vice president. Actually, you guys, we should pick up that uh, clip from yesterday that I didn't play. Kamala Harris, this is a montage that she did, and uh, we someone prepared it, and it was so good. It's clip seven from yesterday. This is our vice president. If you think that the president is concerning, this is your vice president. If something happens to him, this will be the president, clip seven from yesterday. It is time for us to do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. We must together work together to see where we are, where we are headed, where we are going and our vision for where we should be. Because we have the ability to see what can be unburdened by what has been and then to make the possible actually happen. To see what is possible, to see what can be unburdened by what has been, to reject the notion that the way things have always been has to be the way things will continue to be. I have a motto. I drink, I eat and drink no for breakfast. I eat no for breakfast. I eat no for breakfast. (laughs) There is no vaccine for racism. The climate crisis represents an existential threat to who we are as a species. Talking about the significance of the passage of time, right? The significance of the passage of time. So when you think about it, there is great significance to the passage of time. Because the reality is that the life of a black person in America has never been treated as fully human. We have supposed leaders who are pushing science fiction instead of science fact. This virus, it has no eyes, and yet it knows exactly how we see each other and how we treat each other. You guys are going to see. You're going to literally see the craters on the moon with your own eyes. With your own eyes, I'm telling you, it is going to be unbelievable. A friend in need is a friend indeed. (laughs) (laughs) And when folks vote, they order what they want. And in this case, they got what they asked for. Yes, so uh, they got what they wanted, according to, you know, like I'm going to read an excerpt from the Wall Street Journal who believes, of course, that the election was rightly decided and that we indeed did vote for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. I would argue against that for a number of reasons, and we've had a number of experts on. I don't want to get sidetracked with that, but just to be clear, I don't think they were really elected, but that's who we have. And they have been uh, sworn in, and uh, this is we are stuck with it. We are indeed, unless there's some sort of... Uh, uh, some way uh, that we can uh, affect the elections in 2022 and neutralize uh, the horrible things they're doing, we are stuck with them. So, and speaking of what she just said, she said, um, "Never black people in America have never been treated as fully human." Well, one person who should know really about that, Kamala. Let's see, is not really all that black. I mean, she's got some black in her. But she's you know she's a privileged her her ancestors owned slaves. I mean, she, she's like, and Barack Obama, all these people that complain about their, 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 whatever, the, the way they're being treated in this country, like Oprah and 
a Barack Obama. It's just, it's amazing. The athletes who have a chip on their shoulder, certainly not all of them do. There are some incredibly wise, centered, black, wealthy people in this country, but the loudest voices seem to be from those that just want to be oppressed because they wear it like a they wear it like a coat, and they love it. So uh, Clarence Thomas, though, never complains about that, even though he was accused and has been accused of being an Uncle Tom. Uh, he was accused, uh, falsely accused, of the most ridiculous kinds of sexual har- sexual harassment. That that would even be an overstatement of what they brought in in his trial. But they tried to to brush paint him with that brush. They did everything they could to stop him. Joe Biden was the leader of the pack. He was treated horrifically. He actually said, this feels like a a lynching. This feels like a lynching when he went through his nomination process. Now, Clarence Thomas, the justice on the Supreme Court, who is arguably the most conservative consistently, has been sick. He came home on Sunday uh, recovering. Uh, we, We don't really know how sick he was. They've kept that from us. Uh, so he comes home, and what's he greeted by? He's greeted by, well, you know, protesters wearing red robes, uh, holding up signs. Uh, he's he's greeted with his personal address being published, which is illegal because Supreme Court justices have to have privacy. They need to live in anonymity uh, because they're in great danger. Uh, can you just imagine this? But, you know, that doesn't matter. That's what he was greeted with when he came home. And the next day he was greeted with something else, Chad Program. Uh, uh, reported on it last night. Let's listen to this clip, clip one. Jenny Thomas is now on the agenda. The committee had been scheduled to prep contempt of Congress resolutions for former Trump aides Peter Navarro and Dan Scavino, but Fox has told the panel could request that Thomas testify voluntarily before the committee. The committee is not ready to issue a subpoena. We want to make sure that this isn't driven, even though it's in the political realm, it's not driven by a political motivation, it's driven by facts. Um, so when it comes to any potential future calling in of Ms. Thomas, we'll, we'll take a look at, at what the evidence is. In December, the House voted to hold former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows in contempt of Congress. However, the DOJ has not prosecuted Meadows. The committee doubts it has all of the messages sent by Meadows. Members hope that word about Jenny Thomas sending text to Meadows could prompt the Justice Department to prosecute Meadows. So far, the GOP is standing by Justice Clarence Thomas, and if he should hear cases tied to the riot or the election. Well, first off, I admire and respect Clarence Thomas. Um, I think he's been a great Supreme Court justice, and Clarence Thomas, in my opinion, will always do the right thing. Thomas had been hospitalized for about a week, but Thomas heard oral arguments today by phone. This comes as a federal judge has ordered more than 100 emails be turned over to the committee from former Trump advisor John Eastman. Eastman suggested that former Vice President Pence could overturn the Electoral College. The judge says that former President Trump and Eastman likely committed crimes in their effort to circumvent the counting of the electoral vote. Where do I start with that one? I, I okay. Let me just uh, let me address the Justice Thomas part of this. That was Adam Kinzinger part of it. Uh, you know, well, we um, we on the January sixth committee, uh, whatever, blah blah blah. Uh, think about the timing of that. Uh, Justice Thomas has been ill in the hospital, and so the next day, the the January sixth committee on Monday, the day after his home has been his privacy has been invaded by these protesters. Uh, oh, and also, um, well, no, I should finish my thought because I might forget. Um, so the next day, the January 6th committee just, they can't wait. You know, they it, they can't wait a few days. They have to 
you know, uh, subpoena Jenny Thomas, his wife, who's caring for him, I'm sure, inside the home, uh, because uh, because she had tweets with um, uh, with the chief of staff, uh, President uh, Trump's chief of staff, the day of January the 6th and leading up to that, too, and after the election. And she can't do that, you see. So that's important. They had to do it Monday uh, when he got home. It reminds me. You know, uh, then the backdrop of this is also just the hatred for Justice Thomas. And I'll give you an example. UCLA's director of race and equity, his name is Jay Perk, uh, tweeted this just, whoa, let's see, just a, maybe last Friday. No one wants to openly admit we all hope Clarence Thomas dies. Whatever you need to tell yourselves, this whole rule we're not to wish ill on people is silly. Uncle Thomas is a sexist token who's committed himself to making us all share in he and his treasonous wife's misery. That is the UCLA Director of Race and Equity, Jay Perk. Uncle Thomas is one of the worst uh, kinds of slurs within race. Uh, I think Jay's black. Within race to smear another black person because of the Uncle Tom's cabin. And it's a, it's a slang way of saying that uh, Justice Thomas is like the white man's boy. Yeah, that's what that means, and it's, so it's a terrible slander uh, among uh, in black circles. And of course, uh, Justice Thomas, his wife is a um, a treasonous because she has political opinions about the election that can't be allowed. You know, I would just like to say, does anybody think that maybe I, I just to think about this? You know, Clarence Thomas. Let's see, there is a, a movie of his life which is wonderful, by the way, created equal. If you haven't seen it, go see it. This is a great man. I wonder if you see that movie, if you'll think that maybe before Clarence Thomas met Jenny Lamp, that was her maiden name, he might have had an opinion or two of his own, that he might have actually been conservative before he ever met Jenny Thomas, that perhaps maybe they agree on things, uh, they agreed on them before they ever met, that there's a synergy there. No, no, somehow it must be Jenny Thomas's influence. Of course, Jenny's activism goes back a decade or so, too, before she met Clarence Thomas. She has always been a conservative activist in her own right, an attorney raised in a very conservative activist family. Uh, and there's no rule and there's no law that says that she cannot have her own opinions and get involved. What they want to do is they want Justice Thomas to be recused from these election uh, uh, cases because we are seeing more and more evidence that the election was indeed fraudulent. And uh, that's what they're trying to get at. All right, I'll be right back. Sandy Rios in the morning. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International. I know we're all praying for Ukraine, and Eastern Europe is a part of the world where Bible League has a very strong presence. In nearby Albania, Pastor Ephraim is preaching away one Sunday. There's a ruckus at the door. Who is it? Twenty militant Muslims. They storm the pulpit, drag this man down the aisle. His family, many in the church who are new converts, are just horrified. They take this man to the front lawn where they beat him nearly to death. You know what his crime is? Very simply, that he has been patiently and winsomely sharing Christ with Muslims and atheists and they are coming to place their faith in Jesus Christ. But the leaders in those uh, movements are not happy. You know when I ask him, how can we pray for you, brother? He did not say, pray for an end to our suffering. He says, pray that we'll see those around us as the mission field and more will come to Christ. $5 sends a Bible, $100 sends 20 to Eastern Europe today. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. 800 yes word or give it sendbiblesnow.org. That's sendbiblesnow.org. Dot org. This is Pause to Pray 
A chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Gary Rassicott, Assistant Secretary for the Department of Homeland Security's Countering Weapons of Mass Destruction Office. He works to protect our country and promote readiness for chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear threats. 2 Timothy 4.8 reminds us of God's love and protection. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to His heavenly kingdom. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Gary Rassicott as he works to keep our country safe. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. And we are joining together to pray the vote. Details at pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starn. Stand by for news and commentary next. No matter your career goals, you want to find a university that provides excellent academics and state-of-the-art facilities at a price you can afford. At Liberty University, they believe a quality Christian education should be available to everyone. That's why they've frozen their tuition rates through the 2021-2022 academic year and offer multiple scholarships, like the Middle America Scholarship, to bring that price point even lower. Learn more by texting STARNS to the number 49596. There are growing concerns among Democrats and Republicans and the mainstream media about President Biden's unstable demeanor, his daily verbal gaffes. An NBC News poll shows the president's approval rating at an all-time low. More than 60% of the nation say he's doing a bad job. Seven in ten Americans have little confidence the president can deal with the Ukraine-Russia war, and it's no wonder. In recent days, the White House has had to walk back three major presidential blunders. First, he said the U.S. would respond in kind if the Russians used chemical weapons. Then he told the 82nd Airborne they would be boots on the ground in Ukraine. And most recently, he called for Russian President Vladimir Putin to be removed from office. Regime change. So who is really calling the shots at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue? If not Biden, who? But if it is President Biden, serious considerations need to be made about invoking the 25th Amendment. I'm Todd Starnes. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. We're completely being overwhelmed. There's already sections of border that aren't being patrolled today, and that's going to be even more so uh, in April. That's when border agents expect a new surge of migrants following the possible lifting of Title 42, the CDC's public health rule used to deport 1.7 million immigrants the last two years. Without it, agents say most migrants will qualify for humanitarian parole or seek asylum. We don't even have the transportation for them. How long are they going to be here? Who will take care of them? Does it fall on the responsibility of the community? And that concern is real. Last month, agents apprehended almost 165,000 migrants, more than half deported under Title 42. This month, apprehensions are expected to exceed 200,000, almost 7,000 a day. That's a city the size of Houston entering the U.S. illegally each year. Without Title 42, the Border Patrol expects up to 18,000 apprehensions daily. The surge is happening now. It's just going to get worse. And you're going to see more and more people just released into the streets in those local communities. Arizona Senators Mark Kelly and Kirsten Sinema told President Biden it was premature to consider changes to Title 42, predicting chaos at the border in a post-Title 42 scenario. Tiny Valdi, Texas, is already seeing a surge as many migrants aren't waiting for the CDC. 
This afternoon, they were going to release 103 that got stopped. We only had buses for 88. Now, it's possible the CDC will not repeal the rule entirely, allowing DHS to admit families, but not single adults. Another option, leaving the rule in place another 60 days because of the new Omicron variant. All right, that's William Lajeunesse of Fox News, one of my favorite reporters. He made it pretty clear what's happening at the border, and we've not discussed this in a while. I think there's so much news, and there's so much chaos everywhere. I mean, who can keep up? But just to give you a few more numbers, this morning the Washington Examiner reports that more than 2 million migrants were arrested for illegally crossing the southern border in 2021, and that's more than four times the number arrested in 2022 and double the number arrested during that huge surge in 2014 and 2019. And so uh, that's just one little outlet. And then uh, the Washington Times reports this morning that the number of illegal immigrants in the U.S. soared by more than 1 million last year, reaching 11.4 million as of this January. And that doesn't sound right to me because I'm sure there are a lot more here than that. And just um, let's say it in a different way. The total foreign-born population legally and illegally present has risen by 1.7 million since January 2021 and has reached an all-time record of 46.7 million million. This 13-month spike is greater than the increase across the entirety of former President Trump's four years in office. That's just to give you an idea of the scope of the problem right now on the southern border. My guest is John Zadrozny. John is with America First Legal. He uh, served with President Trump. He was an assistant to, to President Trump in the White House on, dom- on the Domestic Policy Council. And he worked under uh, Ken Cuccinelli, who, of course, is a good friend, and he was the acting director of the USCIS. Um, he worked for, uh, John worked for Senator Ted Cruz and for the Senate Committee on Foreign Relations and lots more things. But now he's with America's First Legal, which is a new entity. We're going to ask John about this. Uh, his areas are immigration, homeland, and national security. And John joins us this morning. Good morning, John. Good morning, Sandy. Thank you for having me with you. My my pleasure. Let's talk just briefly. I, we, our time is precious here, but America First Legal is relatively new. Uh, and it's uh, it, uh, is Stephen Miller the head guy at America First Legal? Yes, indeed. Uh, Stephen is a good friend and, and my old boss in the White House, actually, and he is the president and CEO of the America First Legal Foundation or America First Legal. Uh, but but the good news is it's, it's got a, quite a crew. Uh, there are some people I knew from before, uh, some people I didn't know from before, but a lot of very dedicated people who are committed to truth, transparency, and honesty. And that's absolutely not what we're getting from the Biden administration, so we've got a lot to do. You know, uh, John, I talk quite a bit about, um, well, often, about how corrupt the legal profession has been. Well, the legal community, how corrupt. Uh, uh, it's nothing like what it used to be, and there's such punishment toward conservative, so-called conservative, without doing a deep dive into that. Uh, you have to have the right thing. It's become politically cor- politically correct a job, and if you cross the line, there is great punishment. So you guys must be kind of an island, I'm thinking. Well, the sad part is that um, we have sort of been. I mean, I think there have been groups out there for decades that have been engaging in litigation, but uh, one thing that we, we've noticed is that they're very targeted. They only do certain things. They they stay in a certain comfort zone, no, no disrespect intended, but, for example, there have been some organizations very respectable that have focused on First Amendment litigation. Uh, there have been some that have focused on religious freedom. All of that is noble, but there's a broad swath of stuff that has not been reached before. And as you know, Sandy, the left is prolific. Like they sue on everything. We couldn't walk five feet without being sued for something. 
And so America First Legal is trying to take an approach where we are going to sue on things that are illegal. Uh, we're not using law as a, as a, a malicious weapon. It's, it's designed to make sure that the truth is being told and the reason the policies are being that are being engineered by this administration are being done, and that's what we're focused on. So we're, you know, we're we're trying to uh, we're trying to punch above our weight, but we're doing a great job so far. So let's talk about this because when it comes to courts, uh, famously the left used the courts to stop uh, almost all of President Trump's policies, executive orders on uh, trying to rein in illegal immigration. Somehow he prevailed and really reduced illegal immigration and actually nearly finished the wall. That uh, that's another story for another day. But it was the courts, the random courts around the country. So what what is the tip of the spear for you guys? How are you fighting back, and what's the issue? that relates to the border. Well, there, there's there's a lot, but the, the short version is that one lawsuit in particular, we are trying to get them to enforce the laws on the books. They have a lot of flexibility. Every presidential administration does. They can change regulations, for example. Um, they're free to do that. Uh, there are some ways to sue if the regulations are not done properly, but for the most part, they have the right to do that. What they basically did, though, in some instances, is they just shut down enforcement in illegal ways and without uh, proper rulemaking. That sounds kind of nerdy, but the, the better way, to, more colloquial way to put it is basically they just started doing what they want. It's what lefties usually do when they're in charge, um, engaging in lawlessness, uh, ignoring the law, and just kind of hoping nobody notices what well, we notice. And there have been some lawsuits. For example, one lawsuit that uh, America First Legal filed was basically we were part of a team, including uh, two states, attorneys general, that sued to make sure that the Biden administration enforced the Migrant Protection Protocols, or MPP, which is also known as Remain in Mexico. It was a major victory for us. Um, basically, it was an incredible tool to prevent asylum fraud and prevent abuse of the asylum. Oh, because John, we whereas lost you. In the past, oh, there you are. John, you dropped out just for 10 seconds. Yeah, you, uh, oh, you, the remainder of Mexico. So what came after that? <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry about that, Sandy. So like that That's... short version is that was an incredibly successful policy for us because it basically prevented people from coming in and getting catch, caught and released into the country. You had to wait in Mexico for a couple weeks until your asylum hearing was heard. And besides the fact that that was what prevented people from disappearing, um, it also prevented uh, a lot of fraud because when people realized they weren't going to get into the country and just get to walk around, they said, well, to heck with this, I'm going back to Guatemala, which is a tremendous fraud reducer. So um, we basically won a court victory in August in conjunction with those attorneys general uh, to get them to enforce the law. We've learned since then that they've still been violating the law based on numbers they've provided. So... um, Really, what it comes down to is we just have to keep pressing and making sure that they're enforcing the law for us. This is about making sure they are lawful and transparent with the American people. Let's talk about this Title 42, because this is coming up maybe even as soon as tomorrow, as I understand it. Now, I don't know if you guys are adjudicating this, but this is something the Centers for Disease Control had put in place uh, maybe at the behest during the Trump administration, and it has to do with COVID. Can you explain it? And uh, what, where, who's the legal authority over the CDC and all of this? That's, that's going to be my next question after your response to Title 42 here. Sure, Sandy. So the simplest way to explain Title 42, it is an existing statutory authority that's been on the books for decades, by the way, under Republican and Democrat administrations. That gives uh, the Department of Health and Human Services the capacity to exclude foreign nationals from entering the United States because of pandemic or health reasons. It was designed exactly for a scenario like this. And so during the Trump administration, when it was first invoked, people were, you know, there was a lot of pearl clutching going on, saying, how dare you exclude foreign nationals when you're shutting Americans down in their cities? Why can't we keep letting people in? And the Trump administration said, no, this is a reasonable precaution, because even if we're doing things right here, it doesn't mean 
that the other countries in the world are doing things correctly, and if we have sick people crossing the border, we're making our problem worse. So we actually enforced Title 42 pretty much across the board with a couple of minor exceptions. Um, what the Biden administration has done is it has basically, it's, what it says is not exactly what's happening. It's not fully enforcing it. They've created more exceptions. However, even under the Biden administration, they have excluded a fair amount of people. Uh, when they undo it, if they undo it, they will unleash an extra several hundred thousand people uh, each year or more um, that will be crossing into the United States because they will not be excluded. Uh, I know some people have said, well, we're, you know, we're ending the lockdown domestically. Why can't we undo Title 42? Again, I think it's important to stress just because the United States has gotten a handle on the situation and we now think that we are in a good place regarding COVID, it doesn't mean people coming from other countries and are are in that place. And there are a lot of other reasons why it's also pertinent to make sure that people are not just flooding over the border. So Title 42 is a great tool. Were they to get rid of it, they would cause havoc at the border even more than they've already created. John, is Title 40, Title 42 is not specifically about COVID, right? It's about any kind, uh, I'm, I'm guessing, uh, by any, any kind of communicable disease. I mean, because, okay, uh, let me just preface this. Uh, we, uh, listen, I lived long enough to know that uh, immigration to this country used to be extremely strict. And if you had any kind of communicable disease, there's no way you could get uh, in. Uh, even if you were doing the legal process, we were very strict about that. And we know that, you know, with this, the border, the porousness of the border over the last decade or so, they brought in all kinds of diseases. Our border uh, patrol agents have gotten sick. Uh, it, they've seen things that we have not seen in a hundred years, you know, because of vaccinations that we take for granted here in this country, and I'm not talking about COVID, but anyway, so Title 42 has a broader spectrum than just COVID, doesn't it? You're correct, Sandy. You're correct on all of those points. First of all, Title 42 is a broad public health authority that we could invoke for anything. We could invoke it for for the flu or for the measles. Um, we could basically prevent people from coming in saying we don't want whatever you might be carrying here. Sorry. Uh, and you, you are correct to point out this is something that a lot of people don't want to talk about, but in the last 20 to 30 years, we have seen a resurgence of diseases that we thought we had stamped out, at least in the United States. Uh, everything from measles, mumps, rubella, polio, to other more concerning diseases, some of which we can't quite even identify. Uh, but um, yes, it is a generic public health authority. It allows the federal government to exclude foreign nationals for pretty much anything in the health sphere. And we don't require an international body to declare a pandemic for that. That is a domestic power that we always reserve to ourselves. But the thing I don't, I can't, just can't quite grasp here is when all the news reports I hear and things I'm reading, it's like the CDC just has to decide, are they going to enforce Title 42 or suddenly tomorrow, I think it is, are they going to lift it? And then all the word's going to get back to immigrants who call their family members. There's going to be an absolute avalanche at the border, much worse than we've seen already. But my question is, can the CDC just decide to ignore Title 42? How does that work? Uh, well, the, the, right now, I, I can only speculate as to what's happening internally. But if it's similar to what was happening when we were there, there's probably a, a debate within the community, the, the, you know, the bureaucracy with the White House about what to do or what not to do. But make no mistake, Sandy, this is a presidential call. Um, this is one of the horrible things about the massive leviathan that is our federal government, where the president will make a call, but the agency will be the one that pulls the lever on a bad decision. And when people go and say, why did you do this? The White House will shrug and say, well, the bureaucracy did it. This was their recommendation. The buck stops there. It stops with President Biden. It stops at the Resolute Desk. And um, if people really are concerned about this, they have to remember that 
He can hide behind the CDC. Uh, I would say one thing of, of note, it's interesting that they haven't pulled the plug on Title 42 already because say what you will about the people in the Biden administration, even some of them are saying this is a really terrible idea and they're concerned about its withdrawal. And really, is it is it an overstatement to say that if forty two or Article forty two is no Title forty two is no longer enforced, that there what is to stop anybody from coming in for any reason? I mean, what what is to stop? Where are the barriers? There are none, right? I mean, there there really, Sandy, there really are no barriers. We've heard some horror stories. Uh, not only are they, not only do we know that they're letting the vast majority of people in there, paroling them in, they're just letting them walk into the country and say, please show up at an ICE office somewhere in the country. We know that the federal government is funding nonprofit organizations along the border, which in turn are giving uh, these illegal aliens bus tickets and plane tickets and money and welcome packets, telling them to go use Bank of America or Hilton Hotels. Um, The federal government is fueling a diaspora that is illegal and in violation of federal law. And in addition to that, um, they're never, despite what they they occasionally say, they are doing nothing to say don't come. In fact, one of the things, they can send Vice President Harris to Guatemala all they want. The thing that sends a louder signal is the poorest border, the failure to complete the wall, um, the failure to take on the cartels, by the way, which are making, um, they're making money hand over fist, Sandy. We learned last year, for example, the cartels were making $25 million a week, a week in some parts of the, along the border. And that's only happening because there is zero resistance from the United States government. Um, so there's no... One bad thing that's happening is just a whole conglomeration of messes, but it's intentional by the Biden administration. Make no mistake about it. All right. Is there one case that you've not told us about? We just have like 30 seconds left here, John, uh, that you think could be effective to stop some of this? Are you? Is this just uh, an effort to, st- you know, like the little boy in, with the dike, just putting your finger in the, the, the hole of the dike? Is, is there something that's promising? Uh, I think all of it's promising, but there's no one silver bullet, Sandy. I think it's the best way to say it. Right now, it's just a piecemeal effort to sue wherever they're uh, not enforcing the law, to get them to force the law, enforce the law via court order. We're always looking for ways to make things better and fight a little harder. So if anyone has any information, please come and help us out at aflegal.org. That's aflegal.org. Uh, we're happy to work with you, and we want to keep them honest. Okay, so if you guys have anything to report, a lot of you live down near the border, aflegal.org, you can report that. John Zadrozny is a part of this, and this is his area of expertise. And, of course, uh, Stephen Miller, he is. this is certainly his area of expertise, and it must be maddening to you guys to watch uh, what's happened down there. It's maddening to us, too, but you guys have seen so much of the good things systematically turn back that you had started It's disheartening for all of us. But, John, thanks for your good work there, and uh, give Stephen our very best. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. AFR programming is now available on Alexa. You're joking, right? Nope, not joking. Seriously? Yep, this is not a drill. Wait a minute. No way. There's a way. The Alexa way. So if you just happen to miss your favorite shows, no worries. You can now listen to each podcast with Alexa. It's simple, and it's free. Just visit AFR.net forward slash apps and click Alexa. We're not joking. To sharpen the biblical worldview of Christians and to share the good news of Jesus Christ, that is the mission of the Christian Worldview Radio Program. I'm host David Wheaton, inviting you to join us this Saturday morning at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, as we discuss all matters of life and faith from a decidedly biblical perspective. The Christian Worldview, 
Saturday mornings at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, right here on American Family Radio. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Today, some professing Christians assert that critical theory, critical race theory, and intersectionality are helpful tools for the church. These people have an appearance of godliness, but their assertions deny the sufficiency of God's word to guide the church in living out the reconciliation Jesus secured for us on the cross. Make no mistake, as Paul told Timothy, the God-breathed scripture is sufficient for teaching, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Those who have an appearance of godliness but deny the power of God's word for doctrine and practice must be identified and avoided. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Here's some great news. If you miss the deadline to sign up for health insurance or if, like a lot of people, you just have a plan you're not happy with, you still have a choice. It's called MediShare. It's a Christian healthcare sharing program. There are more than 400,000 members now, and they love it. In fact, MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to that of health insurance. And MediShare really is the gold standard when it comes to healthcare sharing. It's been around more than 25 years. Members have shared more than $4 billion of each other's medical bills. Plus, MediShare is for you. It has saved its members billions by advocating on their behalf. Best of all, the typical savings for a family is around $6,000 a year. So if you think you're stuck with a high-cost health plan that doesn't have much to offer, think again. MediShare has a 98% customer satisfaction rating, and you are invited to be part of it. Call now. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. It's hard to overstate the U.S. government's incoherence with respect to an extremely fraught topic. President Biden declared last week that Russian dictator Vladimir Putin, quote, cannot remain in power, unquote. The White House immediately claimed this was not a call for regime change. But yesterday, Mr. Biden insisted he wasn't backing away from his original comment, spinning it as moral outrage at Putin's bloodletting. Putin has reportedly relocated to one of his hardened underground leadership bunkers in the Ural Mountains. That may be due to paranoia about a coup d'etat. It's consistent, though, with preparation for a preemptive nuclear attack. Our PresentDangerChina.org webinar last week made the case that given Russia's ability to launch such strikes essentially without warning, it behooves us to increase the readiness of our deterrent forces. Joe Biden's loose talk makes that not just prudent, but imperative. This is Frank Gaffney. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. We're going to have a great night uh, tonight. And for you people in Florida, we're going to have a gay night. Gay, gay. So a proud moment uh, last, oh, hang on a second, too many pieces of paper in front of me. Yeah, Wanda Sykes leading that little charge um, uh, at the uh, awards celebration, the Academy Awards on Sunday night. Uh, this is for Florida. And so it's interesting, um, 
You know, Disney and the Hollywood celebrity class are coming after Florida and Ron DeSantis, but of course he's fighting back. And they had a press conference. I believe this took place over the weekend. I'm not sure what day, but uh, a mother uh, in Florida whose child has been co-opted by the uh, educational elites gave her testimony at the press conference. We can't play all of this, uh, but just to get you to understand why this bill that pres- uh, that Governor DeSantis signed yesterday uh, was so important about, in fact, I, I don't know why they stopped with third grade, but from kinder- kindergarten through third grade, they cannot discuss transgenderism and LGBTQ issues. That's the bill. Uh, and that's the bill that Disney employees and other homosexual activists are calling don't say gay bill. Of course, it's ridiculous. But this is the heart of why DeSantis and the the, um, the legislative body in Florida passed this bill and why he signed it. January Little John telling the story of her daughter in public schools in Florida, clip two. In September of 2020, my daughter told me after school she had a meeting with school officials that was held behind closed doors where they asked her which restroom she wanted to use. I immediately contacted the school and was told by the guidance counselor and assistant principal that I could not be given any information regarding the meeting and that by law, my daughter had to be the one to authorize my notification of the meeting or attendance to the meeting. In other words, school officials asked my 13-year-old child her permission as to whether or not my parental rights would be honored. After many weeks of going back and forth with the district, we learned the middle school had created a transgender, gender non-conforming support plan with our 13-year-old daughter without our knowledge or consent. The plan was a six-page document completed with my daughter behind closed doors with three school officials that included the guidance counselor, the assistant principal, and a social worker I had never met. During the meeting, they asked her questions that could have significantly impacted her safety and her physical and emotional well-being, such as which restroom she preferred to use and which sex she preferred to room with on overnight field trips. The plan also directed school staff to use my daughter's birth name when speaking to us, her parents, and to use a different name in school with teachers, staff, and students. This plan directed school staff to conceal from us that this meeting and plan had ever taken place. When parents are excluded from critical decisions affecting their child's health and well-being at school, it sends the message to children that their parents' input and authority are no longer important. This created a huge wedge between our daughter and us because it sent the message that she needed to be protected from us, not by us. All right, Social I'm transition is she a goes medical- on. A, that's a January Little John. And, and you know, that's all right, just let that soak in. You've got a 13 year old daughter, and you have the school colluding with your daughter, persuading. She's 13 years old. Uh, just persuading her that she could choose her gender and the bathroom and she can select which sex she wants to travel with and we're not going to tell your parents. And when we address your, you with your parents, we'll use your given name. But when um, when we're at school, we're going to use your the name you choose. And it, we're, we're not going to tell your parents, wink it or not. Um, it's, it's horrific. And I just have to slip in because you have to understand this didn't just start. This was happening in the late 90s when I was on air in Chicago. I covered it. I used to cover all things LGBTQ, transgender, uh, before, it was, before it was in the news as it is now. This, uh, Massachusetts was the first state, of course, to legalize gay marriage, and they were the first state to actually start doing this. 
exactly what she described was happening in Massachusetts in the late 90s and other states too, Vermont and uh, maybe New York. I, I don't remember, maybe, but this, uh, this is not new. It's just that parents are finally understanding. And I'm so grateful. I could not shake them with a stick when I was on radio. Nobody believed me. No, no, you know, that's not, no, no, can't possibly, not my school. They believed me that it was happening somewhere. They just it couldn't. Our, we have a nice teacher. We have good teachers. That's what they always told me. Yeah, well, uh, those good teachers remain silent, and now we are in this mess. And so Disney, oh my goodness, Disney is just, um, let's say, doubling down on their opposition to this bill. And so they tweeted, actually they tweeted on Monday, uh, they said Florida's HB 1557, also known as the Don't Say Gay Bill, should never have passed and should uh, never have been signed into law. That's the statement from Disney. And by the way, could I just say that, of course, that that is that little slang uh, labeling of the bill has is nothing about it. Never does say anything like that. Of course, that's a lie. So Disney's just doubling down on the talking point, the leftist talking point. Goes on to say, our goal as a company is for the, this law to be repealed by the legislature or struck down in the courts, and we remain committed to supporting the national and state organizations working to achieve that. We are dedicated to standing up for the rights and safety of LGBTQ plus members of the Disney family, as well as LGBTQ plus community in Florida and across the country. Um, so, of course, Disney is like a family-friendly com- company, right? You want to take your grandkids, right, and buy them little uh, Mickey Mouse ears. I have to tell you, this has been going on for years. You've heard me say it, and I know I'm irritating people when I, I'm, on, I'm on a high horse because I'm so annoyed, how perverse, how perverse that this company that, you know, sells to the world that it's this family-friendly, this fantasy thing for children that's safe has become this. Uh, But I'm going to go on with this. Um, um, Yeah, there was a a comment by DeSantis' people on this, and now I can't find it. Uh, But they came back very strongly on this, and basically... DeSantis said something about, here we go, I've got it right here. He talked about the celebrities on the stage uh, at the Academy Awards celebration. He says, like in New York City and D.C., elites, Hollywood elites love to hate Florida, except when they're vacationing here and buying homes. Uh, he said, we're going, uh, Wanda Sykes, of course, said, we're going to have a great night tonight. And for you people in Florida, Florida, we're going to have a gay night. And then they started chanting, gay, gay, gay. I played that for you. And then DeSantis said, the lack of self-awareness is hilarious, terriously out of touch with Americans. Domestic migration pattern speaks for itself. California lost the most residents in 2021. Florida gained the most residents in the same time frame. Um, There's more to this story because I want to read to you how Disney employees have responded to this. Um, And so I want to find, because there are a lot of conservative, here's my article, this is the one I was looking for. Uh, People who were picketing last week, gay employees in Orlando and in uh, California and Burbank. Um, In Burbank, I think they had like 60 employees, and that was the, I think I played a clip from that for you. I didn't realize it was uh, the one in California, because uh, Orlando, the site of Disney World, had one person, one person out there protesting. Uh, I think that's really interesting. So um, this is this was posted by Walt Disney World Facebook and Instagram accounts on Tuesday. To all who come to this happy place, welcome. 
Disney Parks Experiences and Products is committed to creating experiences that support family values for every family and will not stand for discrimination in any form. We oppose any legislation that infringes on basic human rights and stand in solidarity and support of our LGBTQIA plus cast crew and Imagineers and fans who make their voices heard today and every day. And Disney CEO Bob Chapek announced at a company-wide meeting on Monday that Disney leadership will conduct a global listening tour, not for you, not for me, but to meet with U.S. and international gay, transgender, and non-binary employees. The company is also creating an LGBTQ plus task force that will bring in experts to help Disney develop a plan to make it a force for good for LGBTQ plus communities. Uh, they're also going to take on uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott's order to investigate, par- uh, investigate parents who let their children undergo gender transitioning procedures. They've got all kinds of plans. They're, you know, reinstating that kiss and their new Buzz Lightyear movie. Don't you dare let your children see that or your grandchildren. Uh, Disney is going to, um, okay, so here is from their conservative employees. They wrote an open letter just this week in which they said that the Disney company has become an increasingly uncomfortable place to work for those of us whose political and religious views are not explicitly progressive. In an open letter published yesterday, Monday, requesting Disney to return to political neutrality, the employees wrote anonymously, the company's evolving response to the so-called don't-say-gay legislation in Florida has left many of us wondering what place we have in a company actively promoting a political agenda so far removed from our own. The leadership frequently communicates its commitment to creating an inclusive workplace where cast members feel comfortable sharing their perspectives and being their authentic selves at work. This is not our workplace experience. Over the last few weeks, we have watched as our leadership has expressed their condemnation for laws and policies we support. We have watched as our colleagues convinced that no one in the company could possibly disagree with them, grow increasingly aggressive in their demands. They insist that that is the world that's this acronym, take a strong stance on not only this issue but also legislation and openly advocate for the punishment of employees who disagree with them. And so one Disney employee said to the Daily Wire yesterday, these activist employees and outside organizations recognize Disney's cultural significance. They want to use the company to make an end run around parents through content creation and political pressure. They see it as their mission to rescue the next generation from their conservative parents. This is a complete institutional takeover. Disney is lost. I I have to tell you, I confess to you that I'm surprised that Disney has responded by doubling down. I'm really shocked at that. I thought that there was a little wiggle room there, but none. They're just... They are, their their guns are blazing, both barrels. So, you know what? Maybe it's time for us to both barrels blaze back. And um, I know it's a great loss. Listen, it's a great loss to our culture. I'm I'm a huge Disney fan. I remember Walt Disney when I was a kid. I remember, you know, the the Musketeers. I remember the the Sunday night, although I couldn't watch it because church started at the same time. I remember sitting in front of the television. When you wish upon a star, and you oh, you don't even remember because you're too young. But I remember, and it was just beautiful. It was in Technicolor, and I had to leave for church. It killed me. Uh, but on the rare occasions when I might be sick, I would see it. It was part of our culture. Walt Disney's story is incredible. And what a perversion. What an incredible perversion 
of an absolutely wonderful institution. It makes me heartsick, but they are not what they used to be. And uh, we cannot, we can no longer put our heads in the sand and allow them to thrive while using that money that you give them and that you spend on gifts and all the things that you buy. They're using it to groom your children and your grandchildren for horrific things uh, in public schools and elsewhere. They're all about it, and they're not hiding it. And so uh, you're going to have to make a tough decision. And, of course, then there's the uh, the whole issue of Disney being so involved uh, in China and ignoring, like, the Uyghur genocide. In fact, they made a movie. Their movie, uh, Mulan, Mulan, which was filmed in 2020, it was filmed, uh, and you could see the Uyghur internment camps. Uh, you couldn't because they were edited out in the background. Disney just uh, ignored it, and they thanked the Xinjiang uh, CCP officials the same communists forcing Uyghurs into gulags in the credits of the movie. So they are not offended by the murder and torture of Uyghur Muslims in China, uh, but they are offended that someone here would want to stop the grooming of small children. It is just so bizarre, and it's just sick. Okay, there are other things I wanted to talk to you about, but I think I'm going to— I've got one minute. Can I do this in one minute? I want to go back to Clarence Thomas and his wife Jenny because a couple things I wanted to tell you— Talk about knives, you know, even from the inside. There's a, a fundraiser that went out just a couple of days ago, maybe it was Sunday night, about how Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas has been hospitalized with an infection. Our thoughts and prayers are with him. We Let's put together, we put together a Get Well Soon card. You want to join us? So, you know, sign the card and send some money. Well, so we, some of us wondered, well, who's this from? Who's trying to raise money on <clears throat> the illness of <clears throat> Clarence Thomas? Because <clears throat> it's certainly not Clarence and Jenny Thomas, so... Oh, oh, it, I see. It's Carl Rove, Barbara Comstock, and Reince Priebus, and others. They, they're so concerned that they thought they'd raise a little money in the process. And then if you read this Wall Street Journal editorial uh, about Jenny Thomas and the subpoena by the January 6th committee, uh, it's clear that with friends like that, like, who needs enemies? I don't have time to read it, but just take my word for it. All right, I have to take, like, the 24-hour break, but I'll be back tomorrow and... Remember that, honestly, God is control. I do believe that, even though I don't say it often enough. Have a great day. Sandy Rios in the morning, KFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.